from launching the Missouri Star Quilt Company in 2008 to raising her seven kids and revitalizing the small town of Hamilton, Missouri, my guest today has built an enormous faithful quilting community with her heartwarming quilt tutorials and engaging videos. Today's guest needs no introduction, but there are so many delightful things to say about her that I just couldn't pass it up, so I'm going to do it anyways. Today, I'll have a chat with Jenny Doan. And welcome to the Quilter on Fire podcast, where I explore the stories, the connections, and the joy of guests in the quilting world. I'm your host, Brandy Maslowski, also known as the Quilter on Fire, and I can't wait to share this week's episode with you. So here we go. My guest today has built a heartwarming, faithful, creative family empire around herself in her hometown of Hamilton, Missouri. And we know she did not do it alone. Jenny Doan is a celebrity who has grown a YouTube presence with educational quilty goodness to over half a million subscribers. She is known for her pre-cut friendly tutorials, making quilting accessible to everyone. And with her family by her side, they have built their business from the ground up, from struggles to thriving success. Over the last decade and a half, Missouri Star has changed the footprint of small-town Hamilton, Missouri to be the ultimate quilter's experience that many have called the Disneyland of quilting. We have such a fun episode in store for you today as we'll be talking about Jenny's rise to fame, her family, her latest book, and the annual birthday bash, which just celebrated a huge milestone. So let's explore the story of Jenny Doan. Jenny, welcome to the show. I am delighted to be here. Oh my goodness, you must be reeling after the huge birthday celebration. So thank you for taking the time to sit down and have a chat with me. It's actually nice to have an excuse to sit down. So I'm happy to do that. (laughs) Yeah, that's so great. Your life has been an incredible story of early struggles to raising a family in good faith, all the way to quilting celebrity. So let's take a little look back at where you got started. When do you first remember putting stitch to fabric? Well, when I was a little, little girl, I went to a church bazaar and I realized that there were women who were making doll clothes, Barbie clothes. And I just thought that should be something I should do. So I can remember going home and and I only had uh, tape and staples, but I had a lot of fabric that hung in my mother's closet. So I would just cut small pieces out of that clothing that hung in her closet. And I started to sew then and very shortly thereafter, you can only do that a few times without getting in big trouble. But very shortly thereafter, I they enrolled me in 4-H. And so I became a clothing sewer through the 4-H program and did all the dress reviews and all the things like that. And so I just loved it. I just craved it. I loved it. It was my thing. And so probably eight or so. Yeah. So were there certain people in your life that really had a creative impact on you early on? So I do remember the names of my 4-H leaders, which, you know, is 50 some odd years ago now. And I think when you remember somebody's name, you know, that has to say something, especially over the long, long years. The other person was, I had a girlfriend. So my grandmother, her sisters were fabulous seamstresses, but my grandmother never sewed because she was the youngest of 13 and they sewed for her. She had two daughters, my mother and my aunt, and they never learned to sew. And I think I just got all those sewing genes. 
And so I didn't have anybody to sew with me, but my girlfriend's mother was a sewer and she sewed on a treadle and she actually helped me make my wedding dress. So uh, Mm. she was, I mean, just having that kind of help was just huge for me. Yeah. So nice to have that creative influence. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's continue on your creative path a little longer. You were raising a young family and we're going to jump all over the place in this episode because there's so many wonderful stories, but you were raising a young family doing some costume design. So tell us about when quilting really came into your life in a big way. For when my children were small, of course, I made most of their clothing. It was cheaper than to make clothing than it was to buy clothing. So I made everything that we needed and fabric you could get for a buck a yard, you know, and I would buy pieces that like had sat in a window and, you know, I'd get the whole bolt for five bucks or something like that. And whenever one of those pictures goes around Facebook of the whole family is matching, my children all send that to me because it was really true. Anyway, so I did clothing and I can sing. So I I was doing some theater stuff and I started to take my children with me and I was worried that they weren't going to like it, that I was bringing my children. And so I endeared myself to them by becoming their costumer. And costuming is a type of sewing where it's kind of like cooking. You know, when you cook something, somebody eats it and you're all done. But when you can something, it will sit on the shelf for years. And costuming is like cooking because it's got to look good from 20 feet out, hold together for two weeks and somebody's going to use it once. But when you make a quilt, it outlasts you for generations. And so there was that longevity was missing for me because these were cool things, but people don't use them over and over. And so when we got to Missouri, I went right to the theater and offered my costuming services. They only did one show a year there for adults and they didn't need a costumer. But one of the ladies said, well, if you love to sew, you should take a quilting class. And, you know, I think when we moved here, I was 37. And so I think I, I looked at them and I said, old people do that. Yeah. And I'm just not that old yet. And I decided to give it a try. I knew nothing about quilting. And so in the little pamphlet that they set out, it said you needed four lights and four darks. And I didn't know what that meant. And so I talked the teacher into going shopping with me and so that she could teach me how to buy what I needed fabric wise, how this worked. And I've never been great at color. That's still not my magic. But she taught me about the lights and the darks and you know how that contrast would all come together. And so by the time I took the class, it was just amazing to me because the first quilt I made was a log cabin. And I literally, you know, she's teaching a class. So she's teaching a layout. She's teaching how you make your blocks. She's teaching everything. And I would go home with these blocks that I'd made and I'd put them in the layout she was suggesting. And I did not know whole books had been written about this. You know, I just knew that this was like amazing to me because all of a sudden I turned those rows and a whole new pattern appeared. And hands down, it's the most creative thing I've ever done. (laughs) Well, it sounds like such a wonderful start to quilting and a log cabin, which is the most iconic traditional. Did you actually finish the entire quilt? I actually made about seven of them. Everybody seven. was finishing their quilt. And I, because every time I go home, I get so excited about this new pattern. So I would literally sew it together. And then I'd realize I couldn't go back to class without my blocks. And so, you know, I would, go, I would make a new set of blocks and go back. And so the first actually three quilts I made were identical, all the same fabric, you know, different patterns, but all log cabins, because I didn't want her to know that I was like putting these other ones together out here because I've always been a bit of an overachiever. And if I can see it on my own, I just make it happen, you know, and I wanted her, I just wanted her to feel like I was following along, I guess. I'm not sure how to say it. (laughs) Well, I'm sure she was quite proud of you. 
Okay, so we are going to really dive deeper into the story of your move to Hamilton and your first long arm machine a little bit later when we're talking about the birthday celebrations. But right now, I want to jump ahead a little bit slightly to the beginnings of YouTube. So you started up at the perfect time and someone convinced you, right? Uh, my son convinced me. So if you're my age, you probably gave it birth to at least one computer kid. And Alan was that kid. I spent his whole childhood saying, get off the computer and do something. <laughs> and now we work for him. And so he was like, mom, I want you to do tutorials. And I'm like, okay, what's a tutorial? And he's like, I want you to teach people how to quilt online. I was like, okay, I can do that. you know. And he's like, we're going to put it on YouTube. Now, YouTube was only one year old. I had barely heard of it. And I said, Alan, you do not want your mother on YouTube. That's where all the crazy teenagers put their videos. You don't want your mom on there. And he's like, mom, it's going to be our center for learning. And I can remember just thinking, what? Nobody my age is ever going to go to the computer to learn anything. We just don't see it, you know. And he said, you're just going to have to trust me on this. So I did. And he would come with his little camera and he would film these things. And because he didn't know anything about quilting, it was really good because I'd say, today we're going to make a four patch. And he would say, mom, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I'd be like, oh, okay. So today we're going to take four squares of fabric. Two are going to be light, two are going to be dark. We're going to sew a light to a dark and a dark to a light. And it's going to make a block we call the four patch. I had to figure out how to teach to a beginner. And that was actually really good to be able to rewind and learn. Yeah, that's so great. And it was so forward thinking of your son to already at that early stage of you having a long arm to say, we need to have a learning center or an educational component going out to the world, right? Yes, 100%. So what did you feel was kind of the first break on YouTube when you started to realize like, oh, this is actually going somewhere? People were watching and I was just shocked. <laughs> you know, it was like, I got a call one day from a lady and she's like, I just love your tutorials and I just watch them all the time and I'm so thankful for them. And she was from Brazil. You know, in oh. my mind, I can't figure out how, you know, how to call Hawaii without a wire. So I don't even know how Brazil is getting these things across the computer screen. And then people would come with their needs and their wants and they would tell me what a difference it made to tell them. You know, like there was a lady, I got a letter from a lady who had MS and she was so grateful because she could literally, she'd never been able to take a class because she couldn't go and sit for longer than 15 minutes at a time. Another lady who was handicapped and she's like, I just can't get the cutting thing down. Every rotary cutter I buy doesn't work. And I'm like, the problem is, is that you're trying to cut straight and you need to cut down. You need to have someone saw the legs off your table, you know, so it's shorter. And she was like, I never even thought of that, you know, but yeah, it was being able to connect with people in a way I never dreamt possible. So it was kind of foreign to you at the beginning, but you did it anyway. Has your goal with YouTube kind of changed over time? So my goal has always been to give away what came here. You know, we talked about patterns and things like that. And I said, I don't want to charge for this. The ideas that I get, the things that I want to teach, I don't want to charge for. I just want to give them away. And so my goal was never to write a pattern. I'm not even a pattern reader. You know, I, I don't like to use a pattern when I sew. I quilt by picture. I quilt by image in my brain. And I will draw that out, but I don't, I'm just not a pattern reader. And so people right away, when we started putting these things up, they wanted 
patterns. And I realized that we're a tactile generation. We want to hold that thing in our hands, you know. So we came up with the block book, which gave us 10 patterns for $5.99. Now it's $7.99 for 10 patterns. And so that was kind of awesome. But they wanted individual patterns still. So, you know, we had to start doing patterns eventually. But my goal initially was always just to whatever I had in here, I wanted to give that away out there. So that was my goal for YouTube. And I love that YouTube has that platform. I tell shop owners all the time, you know, use YouTube is out there for free. So what I'm telling you, use for free in your shop, you can kit up your own, my pattern, kit it up, kit it up with your fabric, make it say, here's the free tutorial, come in here and get our kit, because this is what our quilt looks like. I said, there's always enough for everybody. So use what I've put out there for free. And so there's a lot of uh, stores that do that and love that. And I'm glad about that because I feel like I get this information. It's not costing me anything. I want to share it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all about building community. So that's so great. Okay. And has there been a video or a few that have been most memorable for you? So when I did a mask video for when COVID hit, I asked Missouri Star if they wanted to put it on their site and they said no, that they really didn't think that was a thing and that it was, they were just, you know, I did quilts. And so when Chelsea Clinton shared my thing and it went over a million views, they said, could we just put that on our site now? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yeah. (laughs) So important. And it's so timely. I'm always surprised. For instance, things that I think are normal and easy in my brain, not everybody will know. And so I always go back to, you know, because in my mind, it's like, oh, that's so easy. Nobody needs a pattern for that. But if you're a beginner, you don't have a clue where to start. And so I did a video recently and I put the word beginner on it, beginner star. And people went nuts over it because they knew they could do it because it said Mm -hmm. beginner. And anything I do, honestly, anybody could do, but they don't know that. And so I think that's always interesting, too, is the that whole beginner thing. Yeah. And there's also that big fear, if you haven't tried before, that you have to spend money on the things you need to make the project. And, you know, yeah. it's really a comfort to know, yeah, I can do this because it's beginner. I do love that part of it in that YouTube is like the great equalizer. You know, anybody can learn in their basement. Any child can learn. Like I have a huge children's following. I have a men's following. You know, they don't have to go find a quilt store and take a class. They can actually learn something. And when it comes to buying fabric, we all started on fabric, either clothing or stuff we got at Walmart or whatever, because we didn't know if we were going to love this. And we didn't want to spend a ton of money on it getting started. And we all have those beginning quilts that are made out of fabric that, you know, is isn't like the highest quality. It still works. It's still fine. And it's a great gateway into what we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Look, sheets are a better thread count than anything, any fabric you're going to buy. Fabric is 150. That's the thread count. You know, a sheet, we'd never sleep on a sheet that was 150, you know, so it's always going to be okay with me. Yeah. Totally utilitarian. You know, I, I make stuff for people to use and love and wear out. And so it doesn't have to be perfect. It just got to be needed, you know? Yeah. I don't worry about a lot of the technical things that the quilt world worries about. Yeah. And speaking of it doesn't have to be perfect. Do you do outtakes? Do you have a lot of bloopers? I actually don't have a lot of bloopers because I'm just talking to you. You know, when I teach, you know, it's just like I'm getting up there and I'm talking to you. And every once in a while, like one time I was filming and people always in the beginning, you know, they would remark a lot about my nails. And I would say, you can have them too. I get them at the dollar store and Misty glues them on for me. You know, well, one time my nail like flew off in the middle of the video and people thought that was so funny. And we just left it in, you know, because it was just part of as we're going along. 
when I went to teach up with Nancy Zeman, she said to me, whenever I make a mistake, I just put my finger right on top of it and say, isn't that pretty? So they can't see the mistake. She said, do you do that? And I said, no, actually, I say, well, look at that. Let's try that again, because that's not so great. <laughs> You know, because none of us, we don't set out to be perfect or maybe somebody jogs us as we're sewing our seam or whatever. It can be anything, but you know, to have to go back over that. I mean, it's not, it's not a crime. Yeah. And when I'm teaching on Zoom, for instance, if I make a mistake, I pick it out and fix it during a lesson. That's the most common comment at the end. Oh, I'm so glad you showed us that mistake because I'm probably going to do that too, or I've done that before. And you showed us how to fix it, right? hundred percent. Now, was there a defining moment kind of on your YouTube journey when you thought, okay, this is the real deal. I think we can probably make this into a bricks and mortar business. Well, our brick and mortar came first before YouTube, but I think the defining moment probably would be when we finally were able to buy some fabric. So somebody called up one day and they said, you know, that green fabric you're using in the tutorial. And I said, yes. And she said, I'd like to buy some of that. And I said, well, it's mine. (laughs) I'm not selling it. It's my fabric. You can't have it, you know. And so we talked about selling fabric, but we didn't want to go into debt. That wasn't something that we wanted to do. Our whole goal was to keep Ron and I out of debt and to give us a nest egg for our retirement. And so I think once we started buying some fabric, I realized that if I made a tutorial using that fabric, we would sell all of that fabric. That was one of those things where I was like, oh, Okay, because in my whole goal to begin with was if I taught you how to quilt, you would send your quilt to me and I would machine quilt it for you. That was my business model. And then all of a sudden, now we're selling fabric. Now we have too much fabric. Now we're buying a, another shop to fit it in. And now we have too much fabric and we're buying another shop. And I think when we bought that third shop, I was just like, this is a really cool thing we're doing, you know. But the yeah, the YouTube thing, it was so accessible to people. They could see it and they could click and they could buy it. It was pretty magical. I still don't get like how emotion and feeling can translate across a computer screen. I don't know how that happens, but people will get really close to me and they want to share that with me. And it's just this fabulous serendipitous thing that my brain just really can't comprehend. Yeah. Well, it's so great that they can resonate with your story. And we're going to dive into a little bit more about your move to Hamilton, Missouri, and get into that story a little bit after the break. I don't even need to ask where you are in the world right now, because everyone knows you live in Hamilton, Missouri. But who are your loved ones that you share your world with every day? So I have seven children, and five of them live right here in Hamilton with their spouses and their children. We have 27 grandchildren, and most of them are here. I have a son who lives on the West Coast. And he has two little boys and another grandson that lives in Las Vegas. And then I've got Hillary and her family just live four hours south of us. So they're still really close. They come up at least once every month. But those are my tribe. That's my people. (laughs) So can you tell us a little bit about the name of the company? So you are the face of Missouri Star Quilting Company, and you've brought some of your family members into the videos in such a wonderful way. But can you tell us a story about coming up with that business name? One of the things, if you have a business, and of course, a lot of this, you know, I learned from Alan, but it has to be searchable and it has to have the name of what you're doing in it. So Missouri Star is an actual quilt block. And I said to Alan, I said, what if we call it Missouri Star Quilt Company? Because it says quilt, but that's the block of our state and it has Missouri in it. So if people are in Missouri and they're searching Missouri and quilt it will come up, you know? And so that was something we kind of talked about and agreed on. And there wasn't a lot of, you know, talk around it. It just kind of was like, no, that sounds good. That's good. That's so great. 
just finishing up on the YouTube topic, because it's so fun to talk about something that grew so well, and it really is your reach out to the community. You just keep coming up with more tutorial videos. So let's talk about the YouTube team for a little bit and the business team. So who is on your team for the YouTube presence right now? Just me. Just you. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> For my channel. So Natalie and Misty and I all do tutorials and Natalie and Misty do triple play with me. And then if I get stuck and don't have an idea, you know, I will often ask Natalie, take something over and say, what do you think about this? You know, or what do you think about this? Or, you know, and she'll say, well, if you turn that or if you do this, you know, and so it's really just the three of us that are working on things. But as far as my tutorials go, I have to touch it to teach it. So I actually put it together. And the team comes in with the buying of the fabric, making sure I have fabric weeks ahead of time, making sure the fabric is cut into pre-cuts ahead of time, you know, all that stuff the team is. But as far as the idea, the design, sewing it, that's all me. I film about six or eight things at a time so that I can travel and do other things. And so I think right now I just made my last quilt for the last triple play of the year. You know, so as far as triple play goes, I think I'm done through December. I think my own ones, I'm done. I'm into January a little bit. So as fast as I can get the fabric, what can I do? What can I do What that I haven't done? And I've been circling back to some of the old tutorials mm-hmm. because some of them didn't have great videos associated with them, but they've got a ton of views on them. So I've gone ahead and redone some of those. And this year for our 15th birthday year, we chose 15 tutorials to remake as well. And so people have really enjoyed that. You know, you never know how something is going to go, but they've really enjoyed the remake of them, seeing them in a new fabric and, you know, that sort of thing. And so that's been really fun as well. Yeah. And that makes me think of, so I put out this fun thing to get quilters to ask Jenny Don't anything. And we're going to talk about that later. But one of them that popped into my head just now, and someone asked, what do they do with all the samples? So the tutorial quilt, so the quilt actually gets made three times. It gets made, I make it once for tutorials, then it gets made as a pattern test, and then it gets made again in different fabric for Block Magazine. And so the middle one, the pattern test, those ones are ones that we sell. We have a finished quilt shop now. We sell or we use them for a donation quilt. Those are the quilts that come in our quilt auction you know, there's just a lot of different places they go. The tutorial quilts and the block quilts, we have a library here. And the library is for all the people who have a store in town, all of our shops, all of our offices, anything like that. They can check the quilts in and out and change up their backgrounds because we have 14, 15 shops now. So they will. So that's why I rotate through fabric types you know, like I'll make a batik one and I'll make a mercantile, I'll make a floral and I'll make a solid, you know, I rotate through those so that the, all the shops have quilts that they can check out from our library and use in there. Those ones don't go anywhere, just in our library on shelves, many, many shelves. That's a lot of quilts. Let me just tell you. (laughs) Yeah. I was kind of imagining some kind of archive, Uh, but yeah, library is actually a great word. Yeah. Library is what we call it. It's really just a lot of shelving with quilts stored on them. And we do need to come up with a better way to do that long term, you know, but it's pretty fascinating to look back, you know, and see where you've come over all the years. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Okay. So we've talked a bit about the YouTube team. Now I want to talk a bit about the business team because it seems to be growing in leaps and bounds, of course. So what are the roles of some of your family members? So Natalie is editor over Block Magazine, as well as filming with me and designing with me and... She has her own show called Final Stitch, and she thinks 
where I'm like, it's totally okay and easygoing and don't worry about it. She's like, you know, that's great. If you want to do this really perfect, this is how. So she comes at it from a more intellectual point, which is really cool. Misty has her own show. It's called At Home with Misty. And she does everything from home goods to bags to quilts. She does a whole smattering of things. But we have teams for every area in our company that we need. So we have buying teams, you know, teams that buy the tutorial fabric, teams that buy the shop fabric, teams that buy the daily deal, a team, you know, the notions, all those things. We have a marketing team. We have a social media team. One of the fun things about that is that literally if you're an employee here, you can try anything. We even have a construction team, you know, and so literally you can try anything you want. We do require you to be in your job for about six months. But then you can, you know, if you want to try the film team, you know, if you want to try, you know, we there's movement within the company uh, people. But we've always known what we don't know. So, for instance, when you get so many employees, you have to have an HR person. And that can't be somebody who's nice to people. It has to be somebody who knows the law, you know. And so we've always known what we don't know as far as that goes. And so, you know, as we brought in people it's been really fascinating because they've come from much bigger jobs than ours is, but they want to work with the family and they're ready to be out of that corporate world and do something that's a little more fun and a little interesting and something they've never tried before. And so we just gotten some really great people that they have more experience in the realms that we don't have experience in. And so it really helps us move along. Yeah. It's nice to work with family. And speaking of that, of all of your kids, is there one troublemaker? Oh, there's there's several troublemakers. I was going to say two. Two of our children own the company. Okay. So Sarah and Alan own the company. And then Jake used to do all the filming. He has stepped back and he just is a supporting role to Misty at this point. And Natalie works full-time for the company. Let me see. Natalie, Sarah's an owner. Hillary writes the stories for block magazines and little novels about the quilt town. And she writes her own novels as well. And then the boys, Alan's an owner. Jake is a camera guy for a long time. And then our youngest son, Josh, is he does landscaping and things like that in town. He's not involved with the company, but he does other things, you know, so. Okay. And I'm going to circle back to that question because is there one that gives you the most headaches or are you the one who gives them the headache? <laughs> um, I would say that at least three of them have my personality and it's not as cute on boys as it is on a girl, you know, <laughs> But we all have this ADD. We talk over each other where we have a new idea every 20 seconds. Yeah. Uh, as far as troublemaker goes, you know, I don't know. You know, they're, I don't know. They're all funny. They all bring their own ideas to the table. And I wouldn't say any of them are really troublemakers, but we, you know, we do have, we don't have a lot of drama, but we have a lot of interesting conversations. You know, it's never boring at the Dome dinner table. That's for sure. Yeah, that is so great. And people travel from all over the world to come to Hamilton, Missouri. So what do you think it is with your story that really resonates with the quilter? I do think the world is hungry for a family that loves each other. I think they're hungry for a couple that loves each other. You know, Ron and I adore each other and he comes with me. And, you know, a lot of the times I'll finish a trunk show and half the people will say, we just love how he looks at you, you know, and I think they're hungry for that. But also creativity is one of the most healing powers in the world. And I think you start off because you want it. But then as you're creating, you realize that in whatever area that's heavy for you, you're not thinking about as much or you're, it's not as heavy for you or you feel peace when you're sitting at the sewing machine. And so I think 
because every quilter has a story and every quilt has a story and they all want to share those stories. And as people come together and they share their stories, they realize how many commonalities they really have and how much it has helped them through things. When people meet me, a lot of times they'll tear up and I'll just look at them and I'll say, we've been through something, haven't we? And they'll go, yes, you just have no idea, you know, and just having coffee with you every morning or just being able to listen to you and hear your cheerful voice. And, you know, the stories and the letters are just jaw dropping. You know, some of them are just anybody who's in a stress job pretty much knows who I am. That stress factor, teachers, nurses. I got a letter from a guy who every day he works trying to stop human trafficking. And he said, my world is so ugly. And he says, when I get home at night, the fact that I can look and make something beautiful with you just has made all the difference in my life. You know, and it's like, who ever thought they would get a letter like that? You know, a letter from Afghanistan, from a woman who says, I want to do for the people in my community what you have done for me. You know, we don't have fabric stores, but we have clothing, you know, and she ended her letter to me by saying, you have filled my war-torn life with color, you know, and I just sat there sobbing because who thinks you know, I'm just teaching you how to make this thing. And I don't know who's going to see it. But then when the stories start coming back, it is just the most humbling, sweetest thing. You just can't even imagine it. And I often don't even know what to do with the emotions. They're so they're so big and powerful for the people who are sharing them. And for me, that's receiving them. A lot of times I just want to lay down and have an ugly cry, you know, because it's just so much. It's so sweet. Yeah. Yeah. That is so heartwarming. And you touch on all kinds of stories. You literally pour your heart onto the page in your latest book, How to Stitch an American Dream. So let's talk a little bit about the story of family, faith, and the power of giving. So that was interesting to write. And when they approached me, it was the same people who had wrote Joanna Gaines' book. And I'm like, you know, I'm not her, right? <laughs> you know, I'm not. And they're like, no, but the story is so cool. Yeah. And the town, you know, all that kind of thing. And so as we talked, we interviewed several authors who came out and so that we could write it together, because obviously that's not a skill that I have. I mean, I can talk, but the putting it all together and making chronological sense of it, I'm so squirreled, I'm all over the place. So that was kind of his job. And so he literally came out and taped me for a week. You know, we went and did everything together. And I just talked and told stories and talked about all this stuff. And as it's all getting written down, you know, and I'm going through and editing it and putting it in the right places and doing all the different things that you have to do to make it work. You know, I was, I just thought every time I would come across something, it was like, no, this needs to be in here. It was like kind of a heart and gut thing. Yeah. It's like, I knew, you know, cause people have said, why did you feel to include that about a prior marriage? Why did you feel to, you know, I just was like, I don't know, gut and heart, yeah. but I do know one thing when you share your scars, Everybody has scars, but we spend our entire life trying to hide those scars. And when we share them, there are more with us than not. So many have those scars. And I think for, for me to share those scars for them makes them realize that they're not alone and that it's really okay. And that we get through things. We just, we can do hard things and we get through them and we go on and we put a smile on our face and we get up the next day and we make breakfast and we do the laundry. You know, I think for me, writing that was really interesting. And then they wanted me to read it. Well, writing a story is completely different than speaking those words out loud. And that was super emotional for me to read through some of those things. And so I'd have to stop and, you know, blow my nose and get myself together, you know, so I didn't sound all nasally and, and teary. 
that was a really interesting process versus just the writing process. And so one of the things that I'm most proud of, though, is that my children and my grandchildren, while it's not all inclusive, have a record of my life because your children really only know you from the time they're 10 until they leave home and they only know you as a mom, you know? So while my children are reading this book and they're like, Oh my gosh, mom, I didn't know you did that. Oh my gosh, mom. You know, I mean, we don't talk about those things because we're onto something else, you know? And so it's not like you sit around at the dinner table talking about the things you did as a high schooler. And yet all of a sudden here, the kids are reading this and they are so thrilled that there's a record. And I think about my mom often who, spent her whole life writing other people's histories down. She was a certified Scandinavian genealogist, but we don't really have a record of her life. You know, and you think about like my children didn't know I used to play the violin. My, you know, my children didn't know. I mean, just all these different things that they didn't know. And that was fascinating to me. And so I tell people all the time, write down your story because nobody will know. And if you go and you haven't shared that information, it won't go. So one of the funniest things that happened was at Christmas time, you know, I had this box of books and I said to all my grandchildren, you know, everybody's there. And I said, if you guys want a book, you can have one and I will sign it for you, but it's up to you. You don't have to have it, you know? And so if not everybody wanted it. I got a little line and I signed a book for all the grandchildren. Well, Misty's youngest son, Ezra, who's 12, he came to me, oh, I don't know, a couple months later. And he said, Grandma, I love your book. I've read it three times. And I'm like, you have? And he said, yes, and I have a question. And instantly, I just went, oh, I don't want to have this conversation with a 12-year-old. Talk. You know, I thought about all the things that are in that book. And I was just like momentarily terrified, you know. And he said, there's just one thing I can't figure out. And I said, okay, what is that? And he said, what is a waterbed? was <laughs> just I was just like cracking up. I'm just like, well, Ezra, it's like a, a Ziploc bag, the size of your parents' bed. We all did it. We brought the hose in the house. We filled up those things. I don't know why we did it, but we all did. And he's like, that is the weirdest thing. <laughs> like, it does seem really weird now, doesn't that it? That <laughs> is so great. Yeah. I- I'm sure my son is 21 next month, and I'm sure he might not know what a waterbed is. He might not know. Right? A hundred percent, you know, and I just think there's so much that they can learn from what we went through. And to have that written down, I just think, you know, none of us knows what tomorrow's going to bring. And so the fact that there is some written history, I'm super proud of that. And also super amazed that it actually happened and we finished it. (laughs) Well, I can tell you that I listened to every word of it. And as an audible, I am absolutely addicted to audible books. I love them. I listen to five or six of them a month. You narrated it so well. It was your voice. It was your heart. Oh, thank you. And I was so happy to be able to listen to it on a road trip with my mom. So those will be memories forever. And although we don't want to spill the entire book in this interview, there are just a couple things I would love to ask you about with the book. And, you know, that'll be a sneak peek for people who are thinking they might want to buy it and we won't spoil anything. But can you give us a peek into that book with the story of why you moved to Hamilton? So it was the year my husband turned 40 and men go a little wacky when they turn 40. (laughs) And there were several things that happened all in a row. We had a lot of gang problems in our school and I decided to homeschool the children and Josh got a tumor in his lymph gland. And when all these things are kind of swirling around, life gets really mortal for you. And one day we, you know, we ended up having to file a medical bankruptcy and it's hard for a family of 
nine to live in California when your husband works in a factory. He was a mechanic in a factory, a machinist. And so it was hard to live there. And Ron had lived several years out in the Midwest. And he said, well, I loved it when I lived in the Midwest. We could move there. And I just looked at him like he had lost. It never even occurred to me to move anywhere, you know. And I was just like, where is that exactly? <laughs> you know, I didn't know what what the Midwest even meant, you know. Is it an actual place? And he's like, it's the whole middle of the country, you know. And so we're like looking at a map and he's like, put his finger down. He's like, anywhere there is a factory, I can work. You know, he says, machinists are sought after. I can work any place there's a factory. And he said, if we went here, he said, Kansas City is right there, you know. And so we just kind of picked this place and we did call and try and find out about it a little bit. And we knew that there was a, a man who had done some real estate things. And we actually came to a town that was actually dirt in Missouri. Just because the name of a place is on the map doesn't mean it's an actual community. And so Hamilton was the next town over. We went over to Hamilton and we just talked to, we went to the gas station and asked if they knew where this real estate person was, you know, and we showed up at his house and the story goes on and we were able to find a little rental in a place. But literally within three or four days, I felt like I'd come home. I felt like I belonged here. I mean, I was such an oddball in California because I had a big family. We always gardened. I gleaned every field to feed everybody. I canned everything I could get my hands on. I did my own sewing. You know, I just was such an oddity in California. And when I moved to Missouri, not only did I fit it in, but that first week I met several families that had more children than we did. And I said to Ron, man, we are slackers. You know, <laughs> So we just loved it. We loved it from the minute we were here. And our living conditions weren't great, but that's never been a problem for us. We always make a place better. You know, we just fix it up and make it better. And we just moved forward. But I literally felt like I'd come home. Yeah. And I loved the story about the farmhouse. How did that situation help build the character of your family? So we've always lived in old homes that we could fix up. We never could afford a nice new home, but we could get an old home that needed fixing up. And so my children weren't, it wasn't a surprise to them that we were going to have an old home. But I think the fact that it didn't have running water and it had an outdoor privy that you had to heat a house with wood. We didn't know it had to be seasoned, but we know that now, you know, I mean, it was just like, there were so many things, but in my family, it's always been an adventure. Everything's an adventure. I said to the kids at one point, people have been living in this house for more than a hundred years. We just have to figure out how they did it and we can do that. And so we actually went and found this old guy who did plaster and we had him come out and teach us how to replaster. You know, we were always looking for ways to learn and ways to improve our situation. Our neighbors were a wealth of information. They had been on their land since it was ownable. And so like they knew that there was a hand dug well here and over here. And we actually uncovered one at some point. And he said, my neighbor came over and he said, Jenny, this water is worth more than gold. He said, during the depression, everybody came out here because we were the only ones with water because we had a lot of live springs. And he said, just cover it up and let it sit. Don't ruin this well, because you never know when you're going to need water. Yeah. And it was just so interesting when you hear people talk, you feel like you're stepping back in time, but we've always loved the knowledge that we could be self-sufficient and make it through. And what it did when we moved into town, you know, all the town shops here, they were over a hundred years old and none of them had floor joists or all the walls needed to be tuck pointed and the, the huge brick walls would flex. You know, I mean, it was just 
they weren't afraid of it because we tackled it all before. And so they knew they could do it. And I think that was just a gift for them. And it was hard for me when they, the children actually moved away because I lost my workforce. (laughs) I didn't have any wallpaper scrapers anymore. And you know, because we'd get up in the morning, we'd be like, all right, we're going to tackle this room. We're going to start this and we're going to scrape the wallpaper and we're going to, you know, and figured out all these little things. You know, I'm so, so, so cheap. And so I had a friend who was a house painter and in the bottom of their buckets, they always have about two or three inches of paint that they can't use. Yeah. And so I'd ask them to save all these buckets and I would just pour them all together until I got a big bucket of a mystery color <laughs> and we would that room, that color, you know? And so it was just, you know, we figured out whatever, whatever we needed done, we figured it out. So it was fun. Oh, it's so nice to hear you talk about being thrifty because I come from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, where I grew up before I moved to BC. And that is known as the thrift capital of Canada. So I'm quite thrifty myself. Oh, I'm so thrifty. I should go there. I love that. I just want to take a moment here to talk directly to the listeners, because I listened to this. I love the turning of the actual page of the book, but this one I listened to, and I was so happy that I made that choice because listening to your voice tell your own story was just a joy, and especially to do it with my mom. So I really encourage you to go out and buy that book or listen to that book. It's just woven with faith and family and the entire story from the very beginning all the way to success. So it's lovely. Thank you. Okay, so I want to move on to talk about the magazine that you guys have that is called Block. So tell us about that. How did that come to be? So Block started as writing patterns for my tutorials. So originally the plan was that we would put the tutorials, they would have a pattern in Block magazine. And Block, we started by continuing to tell family stories that had to do with whatever quilt it was we were making. And so for years we did family stories and then we started telling stories of our employees and stories of our customers and that sort of thing. And now it has some articles in it and it's always has 10 patterns in it. But we knew in the beginning that we had to have a readership of at least 10,000 to make this go because there's no advertising in it at all. You know, Alan said, what do you want in a magazine? And I said, I don't want any white cards, no white cards. You know how you open them up in those cards? Oh, I just hate those cards. And so I didn't want any white cards to fall out. And I didn't want to feel like you bought a lot of advertisements for a couple of patterns. I just didn't even want them in there. And so I remember that first day when we released Block Magazine, the children were all sitting around my desk and they all had their computers open and we opened it up for subscribership and we were just waiting to see, you know, and everybody was doing their work. And then Alan would say, refresh, you know, and everybody wanted <laughs> to see where we were and we were able to get enough to do it. And it's become quite a hit because for the first at least 10, probably 12, 13 years, it was $5.99, which is cheaper than one pattern. And yet you got 10 patterns that are all backed up by a video. And so that became, it just was a really cool thing in the industry. We have now made that so that it's online magazine as well, because not everybody wants, you know, it only comes out, there's six of them a year. So it doesn't come out super often, but still not everybody wants to collect magazines for all their lives, you know? And so some of them just want the online version. And so we offer that as well. And Natalie's the editor of that uh, with Christine Ricks, and they just put so much heart and love in to it. And I do it with the photo shoots, you know, a lot of the photo shoots are of me and we do a Jenny's journal section in there now of what I'm working on currently, because I do work on other things besides 
tutorials. And it's just kind of fun. My daughter, Hillary, writes a story for it. And it, it's always just a little mystery. And this last one was like set back in the 1800s. And it's just fun to see her research. And I'm actually reading those as audibles online as well. So if you get the, oh. the online magazine, you know, you can go hear me read the story. And it, to me, it feels like I'm reading stories to my kids, you know, it's like, and there I was. Yeah. And suddenly, you know, it's just like, I just I love the the reading of the books. Yeah. It's a really good idea for a magazine, right? Like, so the magazine is such a great value already having all those patterns for just that low price, but then also it has a few fun elements in there that are a little different. So I love that. Okay, now I'm just going to take a moment to mention, in case listeners want to check it out, because we've talked about a few things. We've talked about the book, we've talked about the magazine. The website is MissouriQuiltCode.com, and it's a treasure trove of information, products, sales, super sales, and discounts, and so much more. So be sure to head over there. And of course, there's also an email list. If you want to know what's going on, there's a daily deal every single day. So be sure to go and check that out. So back to you, Jenny, let's talk a little bit about some of your travels. So what are some of the quilt travel highlights that you've had over the years? So I have to say, we never had enough money really to travel. We always did a family vacation, but we would literally, I would squirrel away food and we'd eat our way to leg room, you know, and it always involved camping or something. So I never really dreamt of travel. And the only thing I had on my bucket list was Alaska. I just wanted to see Alaska because it's so different than every place else. And I just wanted so badly to see it. And so that was really the only thing I'd had on my bucket list. And when we had been, I don't know, we've been going for a few years and somebody from Alaska called me and said, asked me if I wanted to come to Alaska. And they said, we heard online that you could be bribed. And I said, oh, I can. <laughs> and I said, I said, the number one thing is that my husband and I decided before any of this started, where I go, he goes. And so if you want me to come, you have to pay for him as well. And she's like, no problem. We've got this all figured out. And we were able to go to Alaska. We had the best time. We actually put our flying home date a week later so that we could do some more touristy things in Alaska. And it was so cool. And I came home and I said to the kids, I can die. My bucket list is done. And they said, well, you can't really die. You need a bigger bucket list. And so I, was, I wrote Australia on my bucket list. I kid you not. Two weeks later, somebody called me and wanted me to go to Australia. And the cool thing isn't just that I get to go. It's that somebody paid me to go there, you know, and so we went to Australia and I got back and I wrote Paris, <laughs> nothing, nothing, nothing happened. I've been to, able to travel so many different places that I just never even imagined would be a thing all because of quilting. You know, I go, I'm actually coming to Canada at the end of this week. I'm going to be in Chatham and Sarnia. And so you know, I just get to go all these cool places that I just never dreamt of. I even travel now with craft tours. And so I can literally pick the place and go there and then people just come with me. It's not a sewing retreat or anything like that. It's just traveling, but it's so fun to travel with like-minded people and just had a grand time doing that. And so I just feel very, very fortunate that I get to do some of that quilting travel. Oh, yeah, for sure. And it must be such a joy for people who love your content and listen to your book and they think about you quite a bit. We feel like we know you a bit better than you know us, of course, but to be able to travel with you would be such a joy. That's fun. It is very fun. Okay, so you are a much sought after teacher and speaker. So what is your favorite thing to teach? And what do you love to speak about the most? 
So almost anything that I make or do a tutorial on, I can teach you, but I will have to go watch that video again before I teach it because the minute I'm done with something, it's out of my brain. So I love to do a trunk shows. My trunk shows are what I call teaching trunk shows and they're different. Most people just show quilts. Well, not only do I show the quilt, but I show you how to make it. So you go home with a huge amount of information and knowledge about, you know, maybe I have 30 or 40 quilts up there but you literally go home knowing how to make each one. And if you forget, there's a tutorial on that. So you can go watch that, which most trunk shows aren't like mine. So it's about a two hour trunk show. And it's just so much information. And I love just sharing that information. I also love to teach the classes where people, you know, it's like, you're going to look at that when you're done and you're going to go, I can't believe I did this. If you're going to feel so amazing that you were able to accomplish this. Now, when I first started teaching, it was really interesting to me because a lot of people would come to the class, but they weren't so they were embarrassed to make a mistake in front of a teacher. You know, there'd been this path that quilting was on where it was like becoming a really hard thing to do. And you had to do it perfectly if you wanted to do it. And I'm just like, no, 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 we all start somewhere. This is your journey. You don't sew like the lady across the table from you. This is your journey. And my first quilts, I honor them because that's where I started. And, you know, it's a learned skill. So if you sew an hour today, tomorrow, you're an hour better. And so very quickly, everybody started sewing, you know, at my classes, they weren't afraid of making a mistake. You know, they weren't afraid of, you know, and I, because I always say, if you, when you start off in one of my classes, go through your fabric and choose the two ugliest pieces. Because if you make a mistake, you want it to be on your ugly piece. And I said, and then if you make that mistake three times, you get a table runner. So it's not, it's no problem, you know? And so, you know, it gets them laughing and joking about it, but they're able to go on and start and not feel that judgment or a personal judgment or judgment of the whatever, you know, I'm just so not the quilt police. And so they, yeah. I think they really enjoy being able to just, get in there and do it and have some fun. Over all these years, is there a quilt or quilt project that's been most memorable for you? So one of the things I love though, when doing an idea is that I can clearly see the block in my head, but I don't at all see the secondary pattern until I put four of those together. And when something happens in there, that's really cool. It's just, I just gasp. It just brings me such pure joy. I'm like, oh my gosh, look at what's happening in here because I can't see that. I can see the block. But there's always some secondary thing that happens. And that's my favorite moment, I think, right then is when that secondary pattern appears. And it's just like, oh, my gosh, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. I love that part. Yeah. And that is so great because you just answered my absolute favorite question of the entire podcast that I ask everyone. And that is what brings you joy in your quilting world. So I'm going to change it, actually. <laughs> and I'm going to say, what brings you joy in your family world? My family, my children, we're close. We get together. You know, everything that we do out there doesn't matter as much as everything that we do right here. And as a mom and as a family, we've worked very hard to make sure that nothing is more important than our relationships. You know, we've had to get over some things. We've had to talk through some things. You know, business is not always fair. You know, there's just been a lot that as a family, I feel like We've grown and we've endured and we've risen above and we've been able to keep most of those relationships pretty good. And so I think that's a rarity in this world, but we do love each other, you know, and we are our own support system. And so for me, that brings me my greatest joy, watching them, watching them grow. I also love, so when you have little grandchildren, 
you're magical to them. It just makes all the difference because you're magical and anything you do is amazing. Even if you just can open your drawer and pull a lollipop out, you're the best grandma that ever lived, you know. And so I love that part. But as my grandchildren have gotten older, I've had to make a real effort to stay close to them. So I've taken up some hobbies to stay close to them. So I play Pokemon with some of my grandsons because I go to other countries. I get things they don't get. And so it keeps them in contact with me. As my grandchildren get even older, Ron and I will bake on Sundays. And then we go around and take baked goods to them because they're probably not going to make cinnamon rolls for themselves. You know, Yeah. Uh, I require a hug for those. If they want their cinnamon rolls, they have to come out and hug me. And so we work hard along all those relationships on all levels. And it's a bit of work, but what you work at, you also find joy in. And so while quilting is my job, it is also my joy and my family, you know, that I find great joy in that because we work hard to keep that good, solid foundation. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so right now we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about Jenny's studio space, the Hamilton town and how it's grown and what we've all been waiting for. Let's talk about the annual birthday bash. It's a bit of a milestone, so we'll be right back. So Yeah Quilting is Las Vegas's premier quilting and sewing supply retailer. Their goal is to provide the best supplies and customer service. Visit their store in person or shop online at soyaquilting.com. You can also find them on YouTube for tutorials, events, and flash sales to get a glimpse of who they are, what they do, and how much fun they have. For the So Yeah Quilting family, it's a privilege to be in an industry filled with wonderful, caring people with a desire to make the world a little better every day. We'd like to welcome you to Rosie Girl Quilting. We are a family-owned online quilt shop in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Our entire family is involved in some aspect of Rosie Girl Quilting, be it packing orders, creating quilt kits and sample quilts, making wooden quilter tools, or social media posts. Everyone has something fun to do. We bring a wide variety of quilting fabrics with a focus on woven lines. Woven fabrics provide amazing texture, softness, and depth to the quilts you create. Check out our collections from companies such as Diamond Textiles, Peppered Cotton, and Moda. You won't be disappointed. Be sure to browse around the rest of the shop for art gallery fabrics, cotton and steel, tilde, and more. Visit us at rosygirlquilting.com and use the discount code FIRE15. That's F-I-R-E-1-5 at checkout for a 15% discount on your order. We look forward to seeing you. And we are back with Jenny Doan of Missouri Star Quilt Company. Jenny, tell us about your own personal studio space. Where do you create? I tried creating at home, but when you're mother of a large family, you tend to do everything at the dining room yeah. and the dining room table so you can have your eye on what's happening in your house. And when my children moved out three times, I literally completely made over two of the bedrooms upstairs to be quilt studios. And I drag everything down to the dining room table to sew. And so I decided that the most of my sewing that I do is here for Missouri Star. And so I literally moved everything to my studio here. So I have a studio that's downtown. It's right behind the bank. And it's a family-only space. And Misty and Natalie have desks and sewing machines. And we have cutting tables and design walls and everything right here that we need. Most of us have or a lot of us have our personal stuff here as well. I know Misty has a home studio because she still has little kids at home. And then Natalie also has a home studio. And so sometimes 
they'll stay at home. Now I do have a sewing machine at my house. Well, many of them actually, but I, I can sew at my house. So if it's snowing and I can't get out, I, you know, don't worry, I can sew there, but I have a really nice studio space. It used to be the old library in town. And so it has bright, big windows and uh, it's just really, really fun. Oh, nice. That sounds lovely. Now, I can imagine you being pulled in a lot of directions, but also surrounded by a huge support system. So can you give us a glimpse into your average workday? So I usually show up about 8.30 and I try to sew or do something for myself for at least an hour before I turn over my time to Missouri Star. You know, it it changes because sometimes I have meetings at nine o'clock, but I sew probably an average of six or seven hours a day. And always working on new ideas and tutorials and who's getting married and who's graduating and who's having a baby and all those things that we need to make quilts for. And then I'm a very chaotic creator. I create in chaos. And so then every once in a while, I have to stop and actually clean everything up so my brain can think again. We have an assistant who works here at the studio, and she happens to be my dearest friend as well. And so she does my schedule all of our schedules. And she takes care of making sure that we get the fabric up here and the things that we need. And she does the emailing and back and forth from customer service and that sort of thing. She does a myriad of things. We need probably three of her, but we just have her. And every once in a while, she's my buddy sewer as well. And so on Tuesday nights, we try and do buddy sewing. She comes up and sew together. But now that she's working here, we're so tired. Some nights we don't get it done like we used to. And yet once we're here doing it, there's two or three projects that we're working on and we kind of choose what it is that we're going to work on for that night. Like we've been working on Jen Kingwell's Boho Heart quilt. Yeah. You know, and so we're probably halfway through that. Natalie works on that with us, you know, and sometimes you just never know who's going to show up over here on Tuesday night. It could be, you know, a granddaughter or something like that or a grandson. You just never know. Yeah. And so, but it's mostly, it's just me, Cherry and Natalie that are here on Tuesdays. So it's kind of fun. That sounds fun. So if you just think of a single day, what's your favorite time of day? Uh, morning. I'm much more functional in the morning. By the afternoon, you know, I could literally lay my head on the desk and take a little power nap and go on. I've always been that, even when I was home with my children as a mom, it was like, I would do great all morning. By one o'clock, you know, we'd take a break from lunch and I'd read to the kids and either they'd fall asleep or I would. And, you know, if I didn't have my dinner planned and ready to go in the morning, and we were having cereal and sandwiches at night. So I've always been one of those high energy and then kind of just steadily, you know, I'm like, if you want me to at a important meeting, you better make it in the morning. You know, if you want me to do math, quilt math, it has to be done in the morning. So it's one of those things that, you know, I just, I like the morning time best. So if you had a creative day, a full day, all to yourself, no business required, what do you think you would dive into? So I have several things that I work on for mind relief, you know, stress relief. And there are things I love to sew. One is little birds. They bring me joy. I have a little block lotto pattern. I just love that. And I make little birds. I make little houses. I have a really easy pattern to do really quick, easy little houses. I have little stars, little wonky stars that I like to make. And then whatever project I'm working on, but I will generally dive into something that's mindless like that so that I can just create. I also do make a lot of things for like the children, like I decided this year, they all needed to have chiefs football table runners. So, you know, I'll do that right now. I'm working on little pumpkin wall hangings, you know, 
<laughs> I start doing one of those projects and I become all consumed by that until it's finished. And so I do love that creativity, just figuring something out and going for it. Yeah, well, you can see that you are doing what you absolutely love, what you're passionate about for a living. And if it extends into your life as something you could just do every day, then you're obviously doing the right thing. Well, you know, I always think about how people who, like when they get angry, they clean. Oh, when I get angry, I have a whole new outfit. (laughs) I've got a whole quilt made, you know. It's my go-to when I'm happy, sad, anxious. It doesn't make any difference. It is my go-to. And so... I just love to sew. Sewing is my thing. Yeah. Okay. So this next little conversation we're going to have, I've been really excited about. So let's talk about your hometown. The small town of Hamilton started with just a few hundred people and it has really grown. So tell us a story about your move to Hamilton. So when we moved to Hamilton, it was actually quite a bustling community. We had a factory in town, the Stridewright Shoe Factory. And then we were in town for oh, I don't know, about five or so years. And that factory closed down and literally it just sucked the life out of the community. There wasn't any work here for anyone to do. You know, we had, I mean, every store was full on Main Street and they literally by one by one, they started closing down, moving to other towns and going out. So by the time we had been here, we moved here in 95. So by the time 2005 hit, it was pretty much a ghost town. And then we bought, when we decided we were going to, in 2008, going to open a little quilt store. We actually bought a machine and the machine was too big for our house. So that we bought a building to put it in. The building cost less than the machine did. We, I think we got the, I just, I don't even remember how much the building was, but I know remembering the kids saying that it cost less than the machine did. And so we were able to get this little building off of Main Street. It wasn't on Main Street, just a block over. And we painted it up and we put our little thing in there, our little machine, and we started, you know, just doing things. I was helping a friend with a museum over in Kidder, which is seven miles over the next town. Town maybe has two or 300 in it, but she was trying to organize all their old things that could go in some type of a museum. And I noticed how many clubs women had. And, you know, the Sunshine Club. And I mean, they had all reasons to get together. And I thought, why don't we just do a Friday night sew? I don't care what you sew. I don't care if it's mending. I don't care if you're knitting. Just, you know, we put it out to the community. If you guys want to come in and sew, you know, come in and sew. Well, we filled that room the first Friday night and it just kept filling. We had to finish another part of the building and another part of the building. And people just really wanted to get together and they bring snacks and we do this. And so we... That was, you know, about the time we were starting to sell fabric and things like that. And I do a little demo for them and things. So we had a lot of community support and then we literally outgrew that building. So we moved over to Main Street and we redid a building on Main Street, but everything else on Main Street was, you know, pretty much closed up. And it wasn't too long before we got too much fabric for that shop. And we thought we would never in my now I thought my children, I'm sure they see ahead. I don't see ahead. I'm real happy right here in this little present bubble. And I just couldn't imagine that we'd grow beyond that shop. And Sarah said one day, mom, what fabric do you think we have the most of? And I said, probably Civil War. And she says, well, I'm thinking about buying one of these old buildings and fixing it up and just putting that fabric in there. What do you think about that? And I said, people would love that. I said, because, you know, if I go to a, you know, a fabric shop, it has the favorite fabric of the person who owns the shop. Because we all know that if your shop doesn't work out, you have to wear the fabric that you're (laughs) You know, so it's your favorite. And 
I said, and normally, you know, if you like something, it's on a little part of a shelf in a corner, you know, that sort of thing. It's not generally the whole store. And so I was super excited about that. So we did that, opened that shop up. And by the time we opened the third shop up, I was like, this is a great idea. But I never saw it ahead until, you know, we got to that third shop. So now we have 15 shops here in Hamilton. They're all fabric specific. And so, you know, we have everything from baby fabric to solids to backings to modern to floral. And (laughs) they've just done a great job with those shops. Yeah, that is so great. So tell us a little bit more about Santa's Sewing Shop. So Santa's Sewing Shop is really fun because all of our Christmas fabric lives in there. And then all of the patterns and ideas that go along with that Christmas fabric lives in there. But there's also this whole other wall and displays of little things that a quilter might like to buy her quilting buddies at Christmas or this sort of thing. There's also a lot of blanks. So you like you could buy stockings that are already done and then we sell the templates. So if you wanted to make a star or a gingerbread man or a little heart or something like that to decorate your stockings with, you could do that as well. And so we've tried to bring some type of crafting or sewing to wherever you are on that learning spectrum to everyone. So if you go in, like maybe you are not ready to make a quilt, but maybe you could do a placemat or you could do a runner or you could do, you could make a Christmas stocking because the stocking's pre-made, but you just have to finish the outside, you know? And so tried to appeal to all levels of, you know, of knowledge of, of crafting ability. Yeah, it sounds like it would be so fun to visit Hamilton and go to all the specialty stores that are different types of fabric. But tell us about the Fabric Market Store. What's that one? That's a brand new one, and it's not finished yet. It's not even open. Here, let me tell you one of my good ideas. I wanted to have a shop called Jenny's Secret, you know, like Victoria's, only not underwear, just fabric, just fabric that you could get in town. And it would be all the scraps, all the leftovers, all the returns that we can't put back online. Or maybe if you have a layer cake and the top layer gets, you know, a little scuffed, you know, all that end bolts, all that stuff could be in that shop. And so they took the idea. They said, mom, you're never going to have a shop called Jenny's Secret. And I was like, (laughs) I think it's such a great idea. But they said, but here's what we're going to do. And so what they're going to do is they're going to have a fabric market and it's going to look very much like an old fashioned grocery market that you go in. So there's going to be like a, above the big cutting counter, there will be like, there's a big steer that goes up there. And yeah. instead of having like rump roast and, you know, all, loin and all those kind of things, it's going to say fat quarter. And, you know, it's going to have all the different fabric things on this steer. They have black and white awnings with shelving that goes up, like for all the fabric that is vegetable colored, you know, and so you will buy fabric by the color and by the pound and they'll wrap it with butcher paper in a container that looks like a meat container. It looks like a soda container or something like that. It's just so much fun and nothing like it exists. And I'm just super excited to see it come together. So my daughter, Sarah, is over the town. That's her job. She's over the town and everything that happens with it. She runs the construction crews. She works with a team on the ideas for creating these different shops and what's going to go in them and how they're going to go. She chooses the tile for because outside every shop, it is tiled to match what is going on in the shop. They're just so clever and so awesome. I just can hardly wait for that one to open up. I think it's going to be a big deal. So they're also having in the room next to it, they're going to have a huge, looks like a candy wall, but everything is going to be color centric and it's going to be notions. So it'll be 
you know, just every notion you can think of, but the, all the blue and all the, you know, so it has that look and feel of a giant candy wall, but not candy. You know, they might have candy in there even, I don't know, but it just, <laughs> I'm super excited about it. I think it's going to be really fun. Well, it sounds like so much fun. It really does. And I look forward to seeing what's in the produce section as well. <laughs> Me too. So Riley Blake has made us these little quilts that are like a carrot and a cabbage head and a, you know, all the little vegetables that will hang above the vegetable area. And yeah, I'm super excited to see it all come together. I just think it's going to be super fun. Yeah. And it's so nice to hear how, you know, Missouri Star Quilt Company brought this little town back to life. And all this must have sparked lodging and food businesses as well, right? It did. It did for sure. People would come and they'd say, well, where do we eat? And I'd say, well, you have we have Subway in the gas station. <laughs> you know, and now, now we have several restaurants. We have a Mexican restaurant and an Italian restaurant. We have a burger place and a sandwich and salads place. We do still have a Subway. We also have our gas station does, I think, make the best pizza I've ever had. You know, and so, oh, there was a gal who got her cooking degree from Chicago and came and wanted to open a restaurant here. And there wasn't a building that was in an area that she wanted. And so she bought the bowling alley. So we literally have a, you know, <laughs> this wonderful chef in our bowling alley. <laughs> so that's pretty cool as well. So, you know, it's just, and we have lodging. So we have a retreat center that holds 40. And we also have a Dakota Redford who owns the museum. She took over the old hotel and made a retreat center there. And it will hold about 70 people in there, I think. And so, it's just fun to see all this come together. We do need a hotel, but a lot of the hotels can't wrap their head around the fact that this little town in the middle of nowhere is actually bringing in enough people to fill the motel. So a lot of people in our city have created Airbnbs. Oh, yeah. And so like I have a little Airbnb. It's just across the street from Dollar General. Sarah has several of them. Jake and Misty have several of them. And a lot of our locals have opened them as well. You know, they'll get a house that's kind of tumble down and they'll redo it and fix it and flip it and open an Airbnb. And so it's just really fun to see that happen as well, because that's a pretty good business for somebody, you know, yeah. uh, in this area. Yeah. Well, it's been nice to get a peek at what exists now in Hamilton. What's brand new. Are there any other, you know, future dream stores that are just a spark in your mind that you wish that you could have one day? Oh, there are. <laughs> there are several other buildings we're still working on, but we don't like to do them before we, we don't want to go into a lot of debt, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And so we try to be ready for them. Yeah. And there are other things that we'd like to do. Like when you think in your mind about, I'd love to do this and you fill in the blank, it would just be cool if there was a town that had all those things. And so we have a little art shop, we have a little yarn shop. And so, you know, we're just trying to kind of expand out a little bit into some of the other areas. We know that in the quilt world, one out of every three quilters crosses over into those fiber arts. We also know that if you lose your sewing, your sojo, <laughs> then if you create in another area, that creativity restores your creativity. And so that's when I started watercoloring was when I was kind of at a quilting lull. And I started watercoloring and I was just like, oh my gosh, you know, because all that creativity comes back. And so we have those little shops in town as well. And we'd love to be the little place that had whatever it is you're wanting to learn. You know, we'd love to have some other artists come to town and join us. We think that would be really fun. Yeah. 
That's wonderful. Okay. So I'm really excited to talk about the big news. You just celebrated a huge milestone. Happy birthday to Missouri Star. So can you tell us about this annual celebration and why it's just a little bit more special this year? So it's 15 years and that's huge. The fact that for any quilt shop to stay in business for 15 years, I think is big. And for us, it's especially sweet because we take care of so many families in the area. We have about 450 employees. And so for us, for when people come, they want to share their stories. They want to share their love. And it's a most giant birthday party ever. So we have vendors from all across the industry. All the fabric vendors come and they do demos. The designers come, the, you know, the creators of fabrics and patterns come. There's a whole row of vendor row, we call it. We do cakewalks and they're for fabric. You walk for fabric and dance. And I mean, <laughs> like a layer cakewalk. <laughs> my favorite thing, honestly, about birthday bash is everybody carries some burden. But for this one day, for this one moment, they are dancing like nobody's looking because they know if they dance well, they're going to get fabric. <laughs> I mean, if they're in a wheelchair or a scooter, they're out there walk doing the walk. Yeah. You know, they're, they're swinging their arms. They're doing the best they can. They just want that fabric. We bring in food trucks. We bring in, oh, a photo truck. We have all kinds of demos and events, all kinds of trunk shows. Uh, we do a dinner with the Jones. We do a game night. We do, I mean, it's just... There's just so many things that you can do and people just love it. They love that we've created something for them to look forward to every year. And we just get thousands of people here over the three day span. And you just can't have any more fun quilting than you will have at Birthday Bash. It's just so much fun. We're very generous as a company across the board and they just get so many giveaways. And, you know, if you spend this much, you get this. And if you do this, you get this. And, you know, and now we have people coming to town. We had several girls who were in town this year that were hiding those quilted hearts and little, little ducks, you know, for people to find and just treasures around town. I found two little ducks, you know, it's just, what are these, you know? And so it's just fun to have other people join you in the fun. Yeah. And that actually reminds me of a question I thought of quite early on, and I didn't add it in here, but when we watch your videos, you might not see the final cut every time, but you're in there. Like you've created the entire concept of the video. When we watch the video, there's the nice little music and then the duck quacking. So how did that come about? So when we first started, Natalie painted some signs for outside of our little building. And then we decided we should probably get a logo. And we contacted a girl in Kansas City and she drew up a logo for us. And we didn't love the logo, but we loved the O in Missouri because it had this little chick in it. And we kept the little chick and we used the little chick in different places. And when Alan went to put videos online, he said, I think I'm going to make this little duck quack. And I said, well, it's not a duck, Alan. It's a chick. And he said, well, it's a chick that's going to quack and I'm going to call it Chuck. And it just became this iconic thing. And of course, there are not a lot of chick things, but there are a lot of duck things. And so it's kind of morphed into a duck. And I have a granddaughter who's the mascot and she wears the duck costume around. And and we have the little rubber ducks that, you know, that we have that we give out. And even our little chick, he's still around. He comes out as a flat chuck everywhere. He's in your packages, you know, when you buy something and it's just fun when, because it's become iconic and you just never, it's not something we expected. Yeah. And I think it's important to just reiterate that you didn't just do all this for the 15th year. You do this kind of stuff every year for the birthday. 
do it every year. Every year, yeah, every year. What do you enjoy most about the annual event? For me, it's the people. It's always the people. And I get to be out there and I take a million pictures and I sign a million autographs. And for them, a lot of them, I'm on their bucket list. So while I'm making their dreams come true, they are also making my dreams come true. And they all have a story. And their stories are so emotion-filled. But when my children were little, every night, you know, I didn't do bedtime well because I was so tired. But I would go in and I would say, what was your best part of the day? What was your best part? What was the best thing that happened to you today? And so before they went to sleep, they would be thinking about something really awesome that happened in the day. I remember one year after birthday bash, Alan looked at me and he goes, mom, what was your best part of the day? And I just teared up because that was a childhood question. And I said, you know, for me, it's like everybody comes and they're all carrying something. And for one day, for one moment, they are 14 years old and disco dancing around pond pavement. You know, they are just having the best time of their lives. They're smiling. They're laughing. Everybody gets along. Everybody loves each other. It's just the sweetest thing to see all those troubles go away. And for me, that's worth every minute, every second. You know, last year it rained. Well, you know, that could have been the end of it, but we decided we would give away every umbrella we could give our hands on. So everybody had an umbrella, everybody had a poncho, you know, and I love that we're that company, you know, that we do the kind things that matter. And for me, it, yeah, it's just so sweet. I love it. Yeah, that's so heartwarming. So now that the celebrations are over for this year, it's all said and done. What are you going to do now? So I just keep doing my weekly tutorials. I, I'm doing a little traveling. I'm going to Germany in December with craft tours. We are going to see the Christmas markets, which I love. And then also I have Canada this next weekend. Oh, then Kay Fawcett is coming here the week following that. And the week in a couple of weeks after that, we have another one more Joan Girl retreat. So that's a hundred woman retreat. We do five of those a year. Misty, Natalie, and I do them. And then our other retreat center holds 40 women. There are 52 weeks in a year. They do 87 retreats in that retreat wow. center. <laughs> Every week there's two. And so lots of retreats and retreaters over there. And then we do five over at Dakota's place because it will hold more people. We love doing those. Anything we can do with the people is just is so much fun. I, I regenerate from people. It's a little bit tougher for Natalie and Misty. They are a little bit more introverted. So they have to have a kind of a recovery time. Yeah. You know, so like the couple of days after, you know, big things are over, they just kind of hunker down, you know, in their houses for a couple of days and they regenerate themselves that way. Oh, the other thing we're going to do is we're going to go to G's Bend. Oh, wow. Yeah. They're having a little celebration in October and we're going to go there. <gasps> but the biggest thing that's coming for the domes is Halloween. Oh, so we choose a theme every year. This is because of my costuming background and my children are phenomenal costumers as well. And we always choose a theme. So last year's theme was food. Mm -hmm. And so literally it was so fun because you don't know, I mean, you can be anything from a hot dog to, you know, a jolly green giant. And my little grandson, my little grandson, he's 17 and he's taller than I am. My grandson showed up as little Debbie. Oh. He had the blue gingham thing. He sewed lace to the bottoms of his socks. He had, oh my gosh, it was the most hysterical thing I'd ever seen. And everybody got into it. I was a chicken and Ron was Colonel Sanders. You know, I mean, it was, <laughs> we just have so much fun. So this year we were going to do fairy tales because I'd been to Germany and I bought Ron one of those cute little Hansel hats. You know, we were going to be Hansel and Gretel. And then the girls all went and the grandgirls 
all went to see the Barbie movie. They wanted to do Barbie for Halloween. And I've never actually seen them excited, this excited about anything. So we pivoted and the house, Jake's going to light the house. So it, it shines pink. And then we're going to have a, a Barbie <laughs> sign up there. And Ron will have had hip surgery just like a week before. So he's going to be the Ken in the wheelchair. There's actually a Ken in the wheelchair. So he's going to be him. And I'm going to be a nurse Barbie. And so we're all dressing as some kind of Barbie, which basically means you can be anything you want to be, you know. And so that's yeah. always the most fun. That always falls over quilt market. And so I generally yeah. fly into market and out, you know, for a day. But then I have to be home for Halloween because there are going to be 50 people at my house that, you know, are all my family. And it's very important to Hamilton because we always do some because the house becomes whatever the theme is, you know. And so so it just becomes very fun. So that's probably our biggest. We do Thanksgiving at Misty's and then Christmas is at my house as well. So. Yeah, sounds like a lot of fun. And I feel compelled to drop you a little hint about something I saw. I think it was on TikTok. I saw Barbie photo booth. And basically what they did, they built a box that looked like an original Barbie box. Did you get one of those? We got one. We <laughs> got one. And so it's going to be on the porch. And I have old Victorian with a wraparound porch. And so it'll be on the porch for anybody who wants to take a picture in the Barbie box. <laughs> so great. That is so great. What a great was something Ron got. He was so excited to tell me about it because I'm not looking for it, you know. And he's like, Jenny, I got this thing. It's coming in the mail. It's a Barbie box, like the original box. So he's very excited about it. He gets yeah. real into it. Oh, that's so much fun. Okay, so I want to give you a big congratulations on such a wonderful milestone. 15 years is a huge deal. Huge. But we're not you. done yet. We have a little bit more of this conversation coming because now it's time for the lightning round robin. It's a series of rapid fire questions with not so rapid fire answers, but it's super fun. So are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. What is your personal favorite tool or notion for quilting? A rotary cutter. Okay. And do you ever have personal me time to escape from everything? Yes, I do. I like to go to the movies. Oh, movies. Okay. Have you ever had any weird, funny, or crazy fan moments? Yes, I've had several of those. One guy just, his wife told him that if he knocked on every door in Hamilton, he would find me. And so he literally walked into my, came into my studio. With, and then we got a code for the door so that anybody could just walk in because it was like a really, we're all standing there going, yes. You know, it was really quite interesting. Okay. And has there been a mentor who has really influenced you along your journey? There have been several. Mostly it's the people who not everybody was excited when I rose to the kind of fame that they'd been trying to rise to all their lives. But because of YouTube, I'm out there in front of everybody and I made that rise faster. And I thought everybody would be so happy for me. Not everybody's excited about that. And so the people in the industry who just loved us up, loved our family, loved us for trying you know, those people made all the difference in my life. And one of those was Nancy Zeman. And she would literally walk up to me if I was in the middle of a fray and she would say, hey, I need to talk to you about something. And she would put her arm around me and just move me out of that fray and say, you know, you don't have to worry about this. And then there have been times when I've called designers and said, this happened, you know, and Tula has been a huge support for me. And I'm old enough to be her mother, but she's so knowledgeable in the industry. And she's like, you just can't worry about it, Jenny, you know, because we're pleasers, we want everybody to be happy. Yeah. 
I probably shouldn't have even mentioned any names because there's so many people who are so good to us and companies that just have really mentored the kids business-wise. You know, my children mentored them business-wise as well as quilt-wise and that sort of thing. Yeah, we've had so much support, so much. Yeah, it's so great that you're surrounded by such a circle of friends and community in the business. That's awesome. Okay, so at home, do you have any favorite unusual or just favorite collections of things? I do. So I have a collection of Fiesta Ware, which is the brightly colored dishes. I also collect little birds and I have a huge sad iron collection. So I started collecting those irons whenever I would go someplace to teach. And you think there's only three of them. I literally have probably over a hundred and not two are the same. And so I love, I am a bit of a collector of things. (laughs) Okay. When you said Fiesta Ware, I thought you were talking about clothing. (laughs) So I was like, no, Fiesta Ware are dishes. They're brightly colored dishes. I have a collection of blue and white dishes as well. Quite a herd of dollar horses because I'm Swedish. And I also have a lot of little children's sewing machines. I'm drowning in stuff. <laughs> okay, for this last question, it's actually three little questions here, but I put out a call on social media to ask, ask Jenny anything. And there are a few fun things from where you shop for clothes to how many grandchildren you have. So let's start with that one. Where do you shop for your clothing? So my children, this is my children's nightmare. Please don't ask my mother where she shops for clothing because (laughs) I know how a shirt is made. And so I have a really hard time paying a lot of money for something that I know has two seams in it. And so I'm a TJ Maxx. I'm Ross. I'm a thrifter. I'm a huge thrifter. I love to alter my clothing. So I will get something and put these sleeves on and this, that, or I, it's bigger and I'm going to take it in, or I'm going to add a skirt of it to this to make it long. You know, I started sewing originally clothing when I was in high school because we couldn't wear pants to school and I'm almost six feet tall and I couldn't, you know, I couldn't find pants that were long enough. There were no girls' pants that were long enough and we were not allowed to wear jeans. So I started sewing my own clothing. So I love to do that. And so, yeah, I'm pretty cheap when it comes to clothes. (laughs) Okay. Another one of the questions was, I think you answered it earlier in the podcast, but we'll say it again. How many grandchildren do you have and what do you love to do with them most? I have a lot of grandchildren. I have 27. And one of our favorite things, Ron does cooking lessons with the grandchildren. So he makes like eclairs and he has these cakes he loves to make and cookies and pies. And he'll just have whoever wants to come, he'll have them come over and do a cooking lesson. I love to paint with them. I love to sew with them best. You know, like when grandchildren come to visit, we make a pillowcase, you know, sewing would probably be my favorite thing and painting would be second, but they love to cook with their grandpa. That's for sure. Yeah. Okay. So this last audience question came at me in two ways. One person said, how does Jenny prepare to be so happy on video? And the other one was so similar. It was, does Jenny have a pre-video ritual? The only thing I do before my videos, so people ask me all the time, are you this happy all the time? Yes, I am. And when I'm not, don't come out of my house. It's rare, you know, but I will have a tired day or a low day, but I have a lot of energy and I regenerate from people. So seeing you regenerates me. So if I'm low, I'll go walk around town and that makes me happy. The only thing I do, I only film in the morning. And because that's when I have my most energy and don't eat before I film because I just don't want to have to worry about my tummy. And so that's really my only ritual. Oh, I do have to look through my sweaters to find the sweaters for the filming because I film about six or eight different projects. And instead of changing outfits, I just wear a black shirt and my apron and I put a different sweater on. So I have about 40 sweaters 
that have all been gotten very economically. And, <laughs> and so I have to pick my sweaters. I don't eat. And then I film and then I have lunch after I film. So yeah, that's kind of the only thing I really do to get ready. I used to put nails on, but I decided to stop worrying about that a few years ago. I've never found a great lipstick that actually stays on my lips. And so I have to check that a lot because you lose the pigment in your lips as you get older. Yeah, I'm always like, do I have enough lips on? Do I have enough uh -huh. lips on? So I keep a little lipstick in my pocket, you know? Yeah, I don't have too many rituals. I don't have to eat like four pink M&Ms or anything <laughs> like that. You know? Not my thing. <laughs> Yeah, that is so sweet. I once joked when I was going to teach at a quilt show, I once joked, oh, and by the way, I only like the blue M&Ms. I was just joking about it. And I laughed. I said, just kidding. Well, they did they ever have blue M&Ms for me when I arrived? And I thought I better not joke about that because they, how did they get those? Did they pick those apart? I don't know what happened, but I, I think you might be able to buy them somewhere where they're only blue, but I, I could just imagine them picking one of my assistants told somebody that I really loved bacon. And so they had like 10 pounds of bacon in the room that I was in. I'm just like, what is the deal with the bacon? And she's like back and she's laughing, you know, and I was just like, oh my gosh, you know, it's just like this huge pile of bacon. <laughs> that is so funny. Okay. So I always ask this question and I wasn't sure if you had any pets or not, but I know that you mentioned a little dog in the studio earlier. So do you have any furry friends in the studio? So I don't have pets right now because I travel so much and I get really attached to them. So we don't have them, but Natalie has a dog and she brings her with her to the studio. Uh -huh. And so I, of course, have treats over here for Pearl. Pearl likes to sit on our wide windowsill and watch what's happening outside. So we made her a little cuddle cushion. You know, <laughs> we baby our Pearl a lot. Yeah. And she's just darling. She likes to lay directly at your feet. You know, so she's at my feet or Natalie's feet or Cherry's feet, you know, and we love having little Pearl here. She is a real calming influence. It's sweet for me because I do love animals a lot. Yeah. Okay. So we are starting to wind down to the last few questions. So thank you so much for braving the lightning round, Robin. If someone was about to encounter the phenomenon of Missouri Star for the first time, what's the path they should take? Should they just dive into YouTube, you think? So YouTube is going to be the best path because you can learn and fail in the privacy of your own home. Yeah. So I have a lot of children who follow me. There aren't children's classes out there anymore and their parents don't want to pay for them to take a class, but they'll sit them in front of the computer. And when we start our children, we say, just buy a layer cake, but first get a piece of paper and draw some lines on it. And so on those lines, make sure that you know how to stay on the line and you can follow the line because if you can control the paper, you can control the fabric. And then we talk about lining it up with the presser foot. And if they can sew straight from here to here and they can do that six times, they have a row done and then they have seven more and they've got a quilt done. And so the layer cake or a charm pack is the best way to start. And then my one big take on this is if you get your first quilt, machine quilted, you feel more like a quilter at that moment than you ever will. If you tie it, you know, or, I mean, it just doesn't have that feel because when you look at a quilt that's quilted, yeah. machine quilted, literally they say, I can't believe I did this, yeah. you know, and it's just squares sewn together. And literally I'll do a tutorial on just squares and people are like, these are my favorite kind, you know, I have a thing with 4-H where the 4-Hers will come here and they make quilts and they start with those 10-inch squares and they just feel so accomplished. The other thing they can do 
is I did one with one of my granddaughters. She loves elephants. And so we bought the youngest coloring book we could find because in the children's, you know, the baby's coloring books are the biggest pictures. And so we bought one that had an elephant in it. We traced around it and she traced it onto heat and bond. Then she cut those out and ironed them onto her fabric and cut them out again and put them on. And we taught, talked about lights and darks. And she decided her elephants were going to be the darks and the backgrounds would be the lights. And then she went and picked some border fabric and it didn't even match the fabric that she had. And her mother started to say something. And I was like, ah, this is hers. She gets to pick whatever she wants. Yeah. And so um, I had him sew around the elephant and she goes, grandma, I missed this part. And I'd say, well, just sew it again. I mean, some of those elephants had three or four rows around them, but none of it matters at the end of the day yeah. because she has an elephant quilt that still as a college student, she looks at and goes, I can't believe I made that when I was 10. Yeah. You know, and she just feels such joy in that. So I love the children quilting. It's a great skill for them to have. You know, I used to do a sewing class for beginners and I don't really have time to do that anymore, but I probably should do that through YouTube. But you just have to dive in. Almost anything I make is if you can sew straight from here to here, you can, you can sew what I sew. You know, we're not looking for perfection. We're looking for you know, just keep going, just keep trying because you're going to get better and better. It's a learned skill. Yeah. Not like even art, you know, people, some of them are born with some of that talent, but it is a learned skill. And when you finish a picture on this year, in this day and year and time, if you keep going, it's going to be completely different than the picture you finish three years from now, you know? And so it's one of those things that just takes some practice and you'll get better and better. I didn't square my blocks for years yeah. because I make sense to my brain. But now I do. The pattern writers are ever so grateful. And, yeah. and it's something I learned as I went along, you know. So it's just really YouTube is the best equalizer, I think, because you can learn and fail in the privacy of your own home. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so many wonderful tutorials. So I think all of you have some great things going on and you can find anything you like on the YouTube channel. So, and of course you can find Missouri Star Quilt Company on all of the social media. Now, as we wrap up, what do you want quilters to take away most from our conversation today? Uh, It's a journey and that we're all on a journey and that we're all moving at a different pace. We're all doing different things, but most people start quilting because they want it. They want it on their bed or their dresser or hanging on their wall. They fill up their house. They like it. So they start making quilts for their children. They fill up their house. They fill up their grandchildren's house. And eventually they're going to reach a point in their quilting journey that they want to give something away to a person they've never met. They're ready to be charitable. They're ready to give that and put it out in the world. When that happens, not everybody's at that place yet, but when that happens and it will happen, you'll have all these quilts, you know, and somebody will say, we're collecting quilts for this disaster or this charity or this military group. And they'll think, I could probably give this one. And when that happens, what that does is it sends love and hope and encouragement and a whole realm of emotions out into the world that are in the very stitches that we take. When we sew things, they're filled with our creativity and our love and our joy and our surprise. Those emotions are literally carried out into the world when they send a quilt out and they give it out. Now, the I know quilters have, don't have a single quilt of any quilts that they've made. They give them all away. But most of us are a little bit more selfish than that. And we start off just by wanting them ourselves. But pretty soon, we're to a point where you're giving it to someone 
you've never met. And while that quilt may not re be received the same way you gave it, what you have to remember is that wherever it goes, yeah. it is going to outlive you by generations. Yeah. It's literally going to be around at least 40, if not 100 years longer than you are. So label it and let it go. Yeah. So if you give a quilt to your son-in-law and he changes the oil on it, you never liked him anyway. Now they're divorced. He gives the quilt to the goodwill. <laughs> Somebody's going to find that quilt and that quilt is going to have a new adventure in somebody else's life. And it probably won't be the adventure you think it has, Yeah. but it will go on and it will outlive you for generations. So be ready for that when it comes and just send that love out in the world because the stitches that we take in the privacy of our homes change the world, fills it with love and hope and kindness and that's my goal for every quilter. Yeah. And the takeaway for me there is that no matter who you give it to, what you make as a quilt, what level you're at, when you give a quilt away, you'll receive more in your heart than you will ever get by receiving something from someone else. My mother always said, when you cast your bread upon the water, it comes back buttered. Yeah. Oh. What a beautiful way to end the podcast. So Jenny, thank you so much. It has been such a pleasure to have you on the show. I really appreciate you being here. Thanks for sharing your story. A hundred percent. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So that was my show with Jenny Doan. One thing that is so evident in all that Jenny does is that she is connected to her community. Quilters travel from all over the world to spend a dream trip to Hamilton, Missouri, just hoping that they'll catch a glimpse of the woman who started it all. When Jenny travels to teach and speak, some quilters even get her to sign their sewing machines with black Sharpie. And that is saying a lot because you know how precious quilters can be with their sewing machines. And about her latest book, I just wanted to say that I had a wonderful time on a road trip with my mom from BC, Canada to Lewiston, Idaho, and we listened to it start to finish on Audible. We both loved it. We still talk about it, and it made for a very memorable mom and daughter trip. Whether you love the paper pages of a real book or you want to have a listen on Audible, the links will all be in the show notes and you'll be able to find it. And it's a wonderful story of family, faith, and the power of giving. My mom was kind of tickled that I landed an interview with Jenny Doan on the podcast after listening to the story with me, and I loved sharing Jenny's story with you. Are you ready to ignite your quilting passion? Quilter on Fire is launching on YouTube with all new weekly content. Join me on October 15th as I embark on this new adventure. Whether you're new to quilting or a seasoned pro, I'm about to ignite your creativity. Get ready for weekly videos filled with fun, quilting, artfulness, and personal stories. And here's the scoop. We're kicking things off with a sizzling surprise collaboration with the So Yeah Quilting Brothers in Las Vegas. Subscribe now to the Quilter on Fire YouTube channel and hit that notification bell so you never miss a thing. Tune in and let's set your creative spirit on fire. Thank you for listening to the Quilter on Fire podcast. Until next time, dream big and have fun in the studio with the Quilter on Fire.